Hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Matt Quinn of the band Mount Joy over Zoom video. Matt was born and raised in Philadelphia. Early years of his life were spent in the city in Philly, then he moved to the suburbs just outside of Philadelphia. He grew up in a musical household in the sense that music was everywhere. His dad was way into music, would put together playlists and always had a record on. But Matt was fascinated with songwriting from a very early age. He talked about even having just this cheap little classical nylon string kid's guitar that he would play smoke on the water to and change the lyrics. Around 14 years old, through high school, he was really good friends with Sam Cooper's younger brother. They were the same age. Sam was a bit older and... Matt would go over to their house because they had a four track and he would record songs. And since Sam was such a great guitar player on some of his songs that he was writing, Sam would come and, you know, play lead guitar on there. And they had this friendship through songwriting and actually through his younger brother. Matt ends up going to college in Boston, studies music, has a little band there. Actually, Silver Linings is from that project when he was living in Boston. His girlfriend at the time, after he graduated college, he was still in the Boston area trying to make the music thing happen. His girlfriend at the time had just graduated college. She wanted to move back to Los Angeles where she was from, so he decides to go with her. While there, when he moves to LA, he starts to attend law school. So he's doing law school at night, working during the day, and writing songs in between. Some months into living in LA, he finds out that Sam is moving to Los Angeles, so they reconnect, start writing songs together. He, he talks about the success of their song Astrovan, how that started to really take off very early on, which allowed him to stop going to law school. Talks about putting out their first record, the massive success, obviously, of Silver Lining. He tells us a little bit about following up that record with Rearrange Us where the band was when the pandemic hit and how that affected this new record. He talks a lot about this new album. It's called Orange Blood, the writing process, the recording process of it, and about this massive headlining tour that they're on. You can watch the interview with Matt on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We're bringing it backwards with Mount Joy. Hey, Matt, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing, doing well. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Uh, my name's Adam, and this podcast is about you and your journey in music. And I want to talk to you about the new record, which is amazing. I've been listening to it like the past few days. So thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, I will say my favorite song on the record is uh, Don't It Feel Good. I, I just love that song. I think it, I love how it's slow, but it's such a good, it's a beautiful song. It's a burner. Yeah, man. Thank you. I, that one, um, you know, like I think putting together a record, you don't want to have like too many slow songs or you're trying to find a balance and, I really had liked that song, but it almost seemed like too simple, you know, sometimes when you're like trying to make something and you forget that simple is often best. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, it was down to the wire with that one. And then, you know, fortunately, like enough people around me were like, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's simple, but it's also, it's really great. It should make it. And I'm pumped that it made it. 
Yeah, it's such a great song. I mean, it's it's like you said, it's simple, but it's definitely something like you could just probably if you were sitting down playing it, it would be like such a beautiful <laughs> piece of art and piece of music. It's just such a great song. Totally. Sorry, I'm trying to find a trying to find a great way to. I'm here in, um, I guess, outside of Detroit on our way to Canada. Oh. Um, on tour here and uh you know the 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 fun of setting up in a in a hotel room trying to make the camera situation as good as possible here but <laughs> it looks good man look i can see good. you okay yeah, good. yeah well, it's good. The back. yeah you were just yeah, i'm in nashville and you played bonnaroo uh what, was it last weekend weekend before wasn't it i yeah. think it was last weekend yep so yes yeah, so this past saturday we played bonnaroo it was amazing we had the like um I guess our set was 6.45 or something around that. Oh. And, uh, you know, so like by the end of the set, the sun started setting through the tent we were in. It was pretty, it was pretty magical, obviously, growing up, paying attention to Bonnaroo and the lineups and some of my favorite bands. So it, it was cool. It was definitely, it was a bucket list one for us, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm originally from San Diego. So I moved here about a year, a little over a year ago, my family and I. And the sunsets here are so beautiful. It's like purple and in orange like uh, yeah it's just such a cool different experience than obviously the west coast yeah I'm, I'm i'm from the east coast originally but i i lived in los angeles for like five and a half years and yeah pretty special sunsets out there too but when you get like total flat landscapes like that you can mm-hmm. get some pretty powerful sunsets for sure for sure well yeah i want to talk to you about where you grew up you were born and raised where philadelphia yeah i grew up um uh, I guess the, like my very young childhood in the Western part of the city. And then I moved to the Western suburbs um, for most of my childhood, um, which is sort of where the Mount Joy name came from. It's a, uh, there's a park called Valley Forge uh, National Park, uh, which historically is, it's kind of a cool story, but uh, it's right there is where Sam, who's in the band, Sam Cooper grew mm-hmm. up. And so when we were, Growing up, I would go to his house and we would, you know, write songs. So when the Mount Joy thing came around many years later, we were like, oh, how do we pay homage to that? And we, you know, there's two mountains in the park. One's Mount Joy and one's Mount Misery. And Mount Misery is, it just didn't quite fit the uh, the project too well. <laughs> sure. Went with Mount Joy. But yeah, I grew up, I grew up outside Philadelphia. That's cool. What's the difference between Mount Joy and Mount uh, Misery? Is one of them just like a difficult climb or like, do you know the, the I'm, now I'm just curious. I'm gonna, this is like drunk history, not because I'm drunk, but because I have a bad <laughs> memory. But, um, okay. but I think, um, I think there's something to do with, so the history uh, it quickly is that uh, during the Revolutionary War, there was this sort of like intense winter where, um, the George Washington and the troops stayed at Valley Forge National Park, which is where this is. But um, I think a lot of what was happening was that, you know, 17, late 1700s and these poor guys had been like out in the cold, both sides. And so mm-hmm. disease was like ravaging both sides. And I think there was a lot of um, like people would hike over Mount Misery um, and realize like they had this other mountain to hike over to get to where they were the health, I guess, oh, like sure. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the first mountain is like misery. Cause you're like, Oh, I still have to hike this other thing. And then once you get over the top of Mount joy, you can see your, your, your landing spot to maybe oh. 
I think that's the story. If not, it's a good story that I just that, made That's up. a great story. I was going to say either way. I, I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. So you knew uh, Sam in, in high school. Is that what you said? And you guys were writing songs together. Because I know later in life, obviously, you, you reconnect and, and that's how the band started. But how old were you when you first met each other? Um, yeah, so Sam and I met, uh, I was probably like 13 or 14. Um, he was a little older than me in high school, but his brother was in my grade, which like, you know, in high school politics, like being, hang out with older kids was like, I wasn't cool enough to probably do that. But, um, his brother connected the dots and his brother had this, like, you know, one of those like four track recorder oh, yeah. And so I would go over to his house to record really stupid songs, but was starting to write songs. And then Sam was around when I was doing that. And I think, you know, kind of like he was really good at guitar, uh, always has been really good at guitar. So it was like, oh, do you want to play some lead guitar on some of these songs that I was making? And that's kind of how it all started, like really through his brother, Ben. And then, you know, obviously it, it was awesome to have like someone in the house who was really good at guitar. So. Yeah, that's cool. And what was the first instrument you learned? Did you grow up in a musical household at all? You know, I did in the sense that like my my dad is like a total like, you know, spends still to this day, like spends time like putting together playlists and stuff just for the fun that's of cool. it. Um, and but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like really playing instruments as much. I mean, he had a banjo, but I'm not sure if he was really ever like considered himself a player, but music was just always a part of sort of the fabric for sure. Like waking up, there'd be a record on and, you know, we would talk about the record and blah, blah, blah. Um, but my older brother played bass and was pretty good at saxophone. So there was some, you know, there was some music happening in the house, but I played guitar mostly because when I was um, pretty young, like I had one of those toy sort of classical guitars. And I remember mm, just like, like not the nylon even th string ones. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But like, you know, short scale, it was like for a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I just remember like not knowing how to play guitar, but, but like, I look back on it, like I was trying to write songs even when I didn't know how to play the guitar. Like, you know, I was doing the one string smoke on the water, but then changing the lyrics, you know, whatever it was. Uh -huh. So I sort of taught myself guitar around like songwriting, which I think, I think looking back is kind of an interesting approach. Like I wanted to write songs for whatever reason, kind of right away. Was that something you're interested in? I mean, aside from writing songs, were you uh, a creative, into creative writing or like poetry or anything like that, or it just happened kind of naturally? You know, I think I was really into um, like Damien Rice, like that was really happening at that time, like some really powerful like acoustic singer songwriters. Mm -hmm. And I think it felt like really close to me. Like I felt like I could do that, even though obviously I was nowhere near as talented on guitar or like I had this sort of, grandiose illusion that i could do that i think like sort of right out of the box mm -hmm. um and it was it was unfounded but I, it, it sort of like started my engine of of wanting to write songs i guess right away and how old were you when you started recording these songs uh over at sam's house like on that four track yeah like honestly i think there's recordings of me yeah as young as like 14 15 definitely 15 but yeah as young as like 14 maybe younger Wow. What, so you're around that age. Is that when you're showing people your songs for the first time? Because I mean, to go over to a friend's house and to have like the, you know, courage to not only show the person the song, but want to record the song and have like, you know, this, this actual recording of, of yourself. Like that was, were you doing that for quite some time prior to that? 
Um, you know, I had little tape recorders. That, that so, like the the genesis of it is, I I bought or my parents bought for me like one of those just little, like, you know, there actually there was like a big box one first. You know, it was like, and you had to press the the tape down, and I would record um, little songs. Just and and I think eventually Ben, I, I don't know exactly how it happened, but I started playing with a friend. And we actually like wrote a song. I've talked about this. We wrote a song about like stink bugs had come to the area. Like they were like, this new thing. Mm-hmm. And we wrote a song about it. And it was one of those things where you just like show someone and you get enough, even though it's the, you think it's the stupidest thing, like people are, are kind of like, oh, this is, there's something here, you know? Right. Um, and um, yeah, I just had like positive reinforcement, which like may have just been people being nice to me. But for some reason, my ego allowed me to believe it enough to like go record these things. And um yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I was showing people, but you know, it wasn't like, there was no real scale to it. It was like my, my friends and my family, I guess. And, mm-hmm. um, and then eventually, you know, you start playing open mics and stepping out a little bit more, but in the beginning it was, it was pretty tight knit, but you know, like Ben and, and the people who were recording it, like it was always a positive experience. It was never like you walked away feeling like it sucked or something like that. It was, okay. it was always building on itself. So yeah, they, it wasn't, yeah, they validated what you're doing uh, essentially during these, these early recordings. For sure. Yeah. I think probably it could have gone one of two ways there and yeah, they probably, they probably are, are, are the ones who uh, deserve the most, I guess, for pushing me in the right direction. Yeah. Wow. Well, with that, like you, you talked about open mics, were you doing that in high school as well? Yeah. So I remember, I mean, I still like, I see, I'll go into a place and I'll see an open mic and I'll get the like tremble in my stomach. Like I just remember how nerve wracking that was. And I have so much oh, yeah. for people that do that. It's so nerve wracking, but yeah, I was doing it. I, I just remember, you know, you would just go up and like write your name on the list and be like, I shouldn't have done that. It's an ink. It's on there. <laughs> oh, you know, that whole feeling, but yeah. you're like counting down the people. You're like, Oh, I think I'm like in the next two or three. And then you're up yeah. there and oh man. Tough, uh, <laughs> so you, you go to college I, you were attending what law school before or when the bands kind of started moving or at least w- with uh, the first song yeah so um you know i go to i go to college um did you go for playing, music or yeah, just so I, okay. I go for music i do like a music business combination thing really thinking that i'm gonna no matter what i want to work in music Mm-hmm. I, you know, at that point, I put so much time into music that I felt like worst case scenario would be cool to help artists in some meaningful mm-hmm. way. And was that in, in Philly? Like, where'd you go to school? Sorry, I went to school in Boston, a school called Northeastern. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, um, it was great. Like, I, I had access to like some. I took some. I took like a class or two at Berkeley, which was right across the street. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of had access to that, but I felt like I had a you know, a fun college experience too, sort of around that. And there was a good music program at Northeastern had some great professors, some of whom I'm still in contact with today. And that's really cool. Um, because, you know, those people were people that believed in me as a writer as well. And it's cool to like go back to Boston and have those people there and, and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, then the thing just didn't really work like right out of college. So it's like, I think for most projects and bands and artists, like, I mean, you know, it's such a sliver of a chance to really make something go where you can pay rent with it. And yeah. I just didn't have it. Um, I, I even had the songs, like looking back on it, I was playing Silver Lining, which, you know, is our, you know. Our- oh, yeah. It's, that's when I first found out about you. I, I worked at, for 17 years, I was on the terrestrial radio on, at a radio station 
in California, but I was on one in San Diego. And that's the first time I heard your band was we were playing Silver Linings. Yeah. I mean, I had that song, like looking back on it, it's just honestly, if it's like anything for anyone out there who's like in a band, it's like you can have all the pieces um, and you still need this. And I'm super aware of this, but you still need this push where you, you, you can start getting some momentum. Um, and that push is it's hard to quantify what that is or where it's going to come from or, or how it's going to get to you. Um, you know, I guess if I knew I probably should start like a record label or, or a management company or something like that, but, <laughs> right. but, but I don't. Right. And so like I had the song and we would play that out and it would get good response. Like it wasn't like we were failing as a band, but it just sort of was, you know, people weren't really catching on and, was this prior to Mount Joy or was this a, a project that you had going in Boston? Yeah, so I had, a, I had a project in Boston prior to Mount Joy called Brave Elephant. And we had Silver Lining as a song and had some other good songs. I've, I've always thought about like, you know, repurposing those songs at some point. But obviously repurposed Silver Lining mm -hmm. uh, for Mount, the Mount Joy project. And, you know, it ends up being a gold record. So it's like, <laughs> it, it's... Um, it, it, it was interesting, but I guess the, the chronology of it is that I was there and it wasn't working. And my girlfriend at the time, um, I'd stayed in Boston for about a year playing some shows, but also like working at restaurants. And, um, and my girlfriend who was in college was, uh, was from Los Angeles and she kind of did the thing where she's like, I'm getting out of Boston. I can't, you know, do the winters anymore. And I, I mm -hmm. got to get back to LA. And so I was like, you know, I got nothing going on here. Um, and I decided that I would go, to LA and you know after about a year in LA I needed a job and I was like you know it would be cool I was getting really into copyright law actually and how much it um you know how much the old copyright laws that I'm still really interested in um sort of negatively impact creativity going forward and um I think there's a lot of still interesting work to be done uh around fair use and mm -hmm. around um just in general, like the, what digital, what the digital world has done to laws from the nineties and eighties that protect a totally different set of, you know, I guess property rights around your intellectual property. So I got really interested in that. And I was like, I'm going to be an intellectual property lawyer. And I was going to law school night classes. And as I'm doing all of this, I'm always writing songs and Astrovan basically is the song that just, you know, we released that, and I eventually was like, you know, I think I got a million streams in the first month and I just dropped out of law school and here we are. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and at this, in this time, like how quickly do you run back into to Sam and was it through like a mutual friend? Like, I'm just curious how do you guys re kind of reconnected? Yeah. So it's funny. So like throughout all of this, Sam and I are friends and he's, he's in college in New York. And then he actually also separately, uh, completes becoming a lawyer. He's because he, he's older than me, so he he goes to law school in Philadelphia. Oh, so he is like legit. He's passed the bar and everything. He is an attorney. Um, oh, wow, that's awesome. And um, and you know, yeah. So he, his his thing is just like you know a few years ahead of mine, um, his arc or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and um, but no, he he you know he hit the story really is like we always stayed in touch. In fact there's like a great email that we talk about all the time. We're like, I sent him silver lining. Cause you know, when I would finish a song, um, we were friends and we would always bounce music back and forth. And I was like, 
you know, I really like this tune. And I, I guess I just sent it to him probably to stick my chest out and be like, I wrote a cool song. Um, but yeah, that now, now that's sort of a, an infamous email. Um, and so, yeah, we were still communicating and stuff like that. And then he, he basically, long story short, was hating being a lawyer and um, just wasn't for him. And he was like, I was out in LA. I don't think it had anything to do with me, honestly. Uh, but he, he tracked a job down um, in the music industry, I think in, on the agency side um, and moved out to LA to do that. And I was pumped because I didn't really have any friends from mm -hmm. the Philadelphia area. Uh, and obviously as soon as he got out there, which was within maybe five or six months of me moving out there, um, we started working on music after work, um, both kind of hating our jobs. And I think that it really put the pressure on us to, you know, we knew we were good at writing songs and putting songs together. Um, and, you know, we, we, we kind of knew what we had, I think a little bit, not to the extent that it has come, but we, we knew we, we had to record it right. And we kind of put feelers out on Craigslist and stuff like that. And we found our, producer who just produced the third record as well um recorded it in his bedroom with the bassist that we found on craigslist <laughs> and um you know but then we had the recording and like that's the thing i would say to artists too is like especially now it's like focus your energy into making that recording that you know not just you like but that when you show it to people there's this irrepressible like that's really good you know like I think that's so attainable for like very little amounts of money now because of the way recording has gotten. Mm -hmm. And I think you can run around and do the open mics and all that stuff. And, and it is nerve wracking. And I think you should, because I think, I think part of that is sharpening your skills as a performer, which is a pretty separate thing. But I think in terms of getting noticed or whatever it is, it's going to be about a song um, that people, you know, pretend, you know, cause I think, I'm, I'm rambling, but I think, no, uh, I love this. I think a thing happens where people think, you know, if I cold send a manager's email, a link to a SoundCloud, they'll never listen to it. And the truth is they, there's a good chance they won't listen to it. But in today's boredom on the phone day and age, there's a decent chance that if, that if you send it to enough people that someone's going to play it. And even like now with our manager, like occasionally something will come across my world or whatever and i'll listen to it and I'll be like that's actually really good you know and i think songs have that thing where it's like it's pretty to me it's pretty binary like there is an it factor to any mm -hmm. song where it's like if you listen to something and it and it hits you as a music fan first then i think you, you really have a chance to build something off of that whether management or whatever it is that you think is going to give you that momentum i think it's possible if you can create the song and the recording that's sort of irrepressible mm-hmm no, I I completely completely agree with you, and especially when it comes to like I don't know nowadays, especially during the pandemic, people making songs and and just them blowing up on whether it be TikTok or Spotify or whatever it, it may be, and it's just something they created in their bedroom, and then it landed with enough people that it just went whoosh, it kind of skyrockets. A hundred percent, I think, and I I like to think that's our story as much as anything. Is like we're one of the first bands to exist in the in the more level playing field for songs like that maybe have that it factor and mm -hmm. i think for for us it was astrovan mm -hmm. and i don't think it's this like irrepressible melody or anything like that i just think the song captured people's imaginations because it's goofy but then underneath the goofiness of it there is a message and and there's something that i think you know 
makes people think or, or makes people laugh or smile or whatever. And, and in this like instant grat world that we live in, like that's kind of it. You just have to have this thing that pulls people in uh, and then you have to back it up. But I, re- I really think we're one of the first bands that existed in this, you know, like you said, with TikTok and all these things, there's a lot of negative to that. And, and that's pretty well documented. Um, yeah. And I and I agree with most of that sentiment, um, but it's it would be unfair to not point out that it also has sort of completely paved the the playing field. Not completely, but it, it has definitely leveled it in the sense that I think what you're seeing is whether they're annoying or not. Like we, as a sort of musical industrial complex, if you will, has like created the like trying to tell listeners what is a cool song through marketing promotion or whatever but then you get things like my money don't jiggle jiggle and the fact of the matter is that's a catchy song Mm -hmm. and and it resonates with people and there's no rhyme or reason as to why and i think you're seeing things where it's it, it maybe that song wouldn't have had a chance if it went through the traditional churning of the wheel that the music industry has where singles have to get decided and there's much talk mm-hmm. about what money what money is going to be put behind what song for what reason but you know if you can just throw a song up on tiktok and you know sink or swim kind of thing i, I think that's an, there, there is some positive to that yeah and i think it's essentially like you said uh, it, the the playing field is definitely getting more leveled in that sense and it's like you're putting a song up and if it can land on that for you page and you're just getting all these eyes on it. You'll, it's almost like you have your own little like almost focus group there of people that are either going to say that song is good and they'll like it or follow you or whatever, or it just does nothing. And there's songs and people that will just blow up off of one or two little things that go their way on TikTok because they're doing something that people resonate with. And coming from radio and watching bands just try and try and try to get on and then like, you know, getting stiff with like an overnight spin and this... And the other thing, it's like, yeah, there is definitely, there were, you know, five years ago, so many more gatekeepers when it came to getting a song to do something. A hundred percent. And I think for us, it was, it it was specifically Spotify. I remember a call from my manager. I was at work. I stepped out. It wasn't even really my manager at the time. It was my roommate Um, (laughs) to give you the context of how it was actually going down. But um, he was, he was helping us out and, um called me i was at work i did the thing where i said i was going to the bathroom and i walked into the parking lot and he was explaining to me that we had gotten on a playlist and i had no idea what a playlist was this is 2016 Mm -hmm. um and he's explaining i forget what playlist it was i want to say it was like something afternoon or something relaxing i don't know who knows Right, right um but um but yeah i just i have that memory of like being explained that, you know, Spotify was supporting the song in some meaningful way because it, I don't know, was doing well or whatever. And yeah, the rest was sort of history. I I remember like going to, um, you know, the song started going viral within Spotify, um, -hmm. which at the time I didn't even know what that means. I remember like Googling, like, how does a song go viral on Spotify? You know, like all this stuff was sort of happening in real time for us. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that that was it for us. We had this, Spotify was sort of our TikTok, and at the time, and at least how I understand it, it worked then, and hopefully how it works now, um, was that they would put songs on playlists, and then they would just—they're they're mostly a data company, especially at this point—and mm-hmm. they would just get tons of data on 
who was skipping the song and, and whatever. And the song was moving within this Spotify algorithm at the time. And it was clear that like something we, we were resonating and then, you know, put out our second song was, I guess, sheep. Um, mm-hmm. And that song started doing pretty well, you know, and it, it, it just reached a point where I was like, if I'm ever going to go for it, and this has always been something I really wanted to do, march down to the old registrar or whatever it was at the law school and dropped out. And we've, we've been doing it ever since. That's so amazing. That's so cool. I mean, yeah, to think even 2016, Spotify was a thing, but not to the level it is now, but it really was to that level. I mean, it was breaking artists. If you get on a playlist, it's crazy to see a, a, with the bigger playlist, how many people follow that playlist is more than, you know, LA County or San Francisco or wherever. If you're on, if you could get your song played on a radio station, if you were netted out to every person in the whole market, it wouldn't even be a percentage of that one playlist in the people that you, that are going to hear it or see it. Yeah, totally. And I, 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 I guess radio's version of escalating a song that's performing well is sort of like, you know, maybe changing formats or also, uh, you know, other radio stations throughout the country, putting the song on the playlist and it's sort of spreading mm-hmm. like that. But I yeah, think- we're getting more, uh, yeah, even getting more rep reps or if you went up to like a more spins in the, in the playlist, like if you get every other hour or so, you know, whatever. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah. And I, I think it, yeah, it's interesting to compare. And we talk about that a lot, like the comparisons of radio to streaming and, and how they, work together and how they work separately. But I think, you know, I, I think just the advantage that streaming had in that moment and probably still does is it just moves so much quicker. It's able to, it's able to replicate, which is a word I shouldn't use post pandemic, but like it's able to just churn, churn that wheel that, that radio is trying to churn so much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of like making a phone call in the morning, Hey, you got to take this to power. This thing's really taking off, you know, rotation wise. It's like- oh yeah. Power. That's, I was looking for the word. Cause I was, I programmed the station to, or I was the assistant to the music director. And I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> yeah, I can only think of it cause I'm, I'm actively promoting, um, a record here, but yeah, but yeah, that's like, which when we'll they talk play. about here in a second. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I'm, I'm doing this, but yeah, that basically I guess power is what, like the most a radio. Yeah. Can play yeah usually. Song. I mean, the station I worked at in San Diego, we, if you were a power, there's a five songs in power and they would play every other hour. Uh, but if you were on like a top 40 station and you're in power, you could be played every twice an hour. Right. It's crazy. But I mean, if- but I mean, I think if you would look at like Spotify statistics for a song that's really moving within their algorithm, it's like it, it's not based on an hour. It could be it could be getting plays on separate playlists all over the world um, every 30 seconds, you know? Every, oh, yeah, exactly. Every 10 seconds, every. Yeah. You know, so the, their ability to quickly microwave a hit um, and we haven't had the sort of, you know, there's levels of success above Mount Joy with that where, it, you know, you can go fully you know, global and um, really reach sort of superstar level of, of um, attention on your songs pretty quickly. So I guess what I'm long windedly saying is Spotify got me out of law school. And I, I think it, it continues to be able to change people's fortunes very quickly, not just Spotify, but all of the, all of the sort of things that are popping up. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent on, I completely agree. Uh, well talking about your, okay. So where were you guys when obviously you, you put out that record at silver lines, you had hits off two 
And then you've, you've even followed it up with rearrange us. And that does well. Like you're, uh, you just released your third record. Where were you guys like when the pandemic hit, was this album written during that time period or was this done after the fact? Like, tell me where you were, uh, come, you know, March, 2020 to now. Yeah. Um, we were pretty much working on this record. I mean, we, uh, we had just gotten off a support tour with the Lumineers, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, it was good, good exposure for us. And it was great to, to play rooms like that. And so you're kind of riding this relative high thinking you're about to go do your own shows. And of course the pandemic hits and I'm sure it's, you know, again, a lot of people have talked about this, but the one real hard to say it's an advantage, but the one thing that was, I guess, nice about the pandemic was just not touring, which was a negative in, in, mm-hmm. in most ways, but the positive was just being home and being able to write and really work on music in the way that I don't think we really were um, for the second record. You know, we were touring that first record. We had the success we talked about. And really what it meant for us is that we toured for most days of the next, you know, a couple of years. Um, and it was intense and uh, like pretty life changing in every possible way um good bad in between um and it made it so the second record we only had a really like six weeks to like go and record it i've been writing stuff on the road but it was this sort of like go into the studio and make a record vibe Mm -hmm. um and i think we did an amazing job like I, i really like look back at that record and i love it but this this third one was um more of just back to what we did on the first one where it was like you know you could really write and you could think about what you're trying to do sonically and you could rewrite and you could record something and then like not end up using it you know like uh, right there just there was this freedom to work and um sam and i you know the the bummer was the band was pretty apart um but um the nice thing was sam and i were able to get a a barn like we rented a barn outside of philadelphia was on this woman's property and she like put it up on either craigslist or zillow or whatever it was and we found it and we're like hey you know this could be a place so we could put our amps in drum set and just go work every day in this pandemic um and we did that and it, it, it was really cool you know we were able to go there like every morning really for like a year and wow. just and just work on work on tunes, you know, talk about the decay of the world. Like it was just this sort of zone where we got together and mostly worked on tunes like all day long and talked about ideas. We would sort of demo things out. Eventually we flew our producer Caleb out and sort of started demoing things and, and ultimately recorded some, some of the songs like bang. Uh, it's just oh, a recording wow. of me playing that song in the barn with some mic set up. Um, the one that's on the record, that's that's from the barn? Yeah. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, and Evergreen, the drums were recorded in the barn just to get like a bigger kind of stadium drum vibe. Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I, th- I think that's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, like a lot of Evergreen actually was recorded in uh, the barn and bang. Um, some of the guitars were recorded in the barn for Evergreen think all of the guitars actually i think about it but um yeah so the barn ends up being this really cool space for us um and uh yeah it it was great like i think that's why i'm really proud of this record because it 
you know, when you do something sort of quickly, you can be proud of like your progress of like, wow, we did that and we survived that. But this feels like we actually survived like our own insecurities about the songs and like you kind of have to push through. Um, yeah, like a true editing process, too, I guess. And uh, mm. it, it feels good. Yeah, you have a lot more time to sit with the songs, right? And are you guys, or do you go back and listen to it a million times and be like, oh, I wish I could, I could change or tweak this little guitar piece here, or I don't like this here? Yeah, like, I would say this record, le- so, I mean, you know, we just released it a week ago. Give us, right. give me a little more time, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but for the most part so far, this record less so than any other record, which feels good. Like I, there are, are a few things already where I'm like, you know, Oh, we should have like jammed that out longer and whatever else. But, you know, like part of making a record um, is just, there's so many decisions like that, right? Like you could always jam for twice as long or you could add a wacky sound or, you know, especially now, like the sky is truly the limit in terms of what you can do. Um, and oftentimes I think the best stuff we make and the stuff we remind ourselves of is like just that gut instinct of like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you, whatever your first instinct was. And that's, that's not just music, obviously, but, um, so it is easy to look back and be like, should have jammed longer, but who knows, maybe it would have jammed longer and it would have sounded shitty. So, right. Yeah. Right. No, I, I didn't mean like the final version, but I meant like just having that year period, maybe like you, you finish, you know, Johnson's song, you're like, Oh, like go, you're just sitting at your house listening to it. And then it's like, okay, we got to go back and we should fix this little piece. Like if, if you ran into that spiral at all. Totally. Actually, lemon tree is a song um, that we attempted to record um several times and we actually got like a pretty good version down with a different producer um and it was like it was exactly what you're talking about where sitting with it and sitting with actually phone demos from the barn i was sort of we'd spent some money to use this producer and you know um there were and he did an amazing job but the reality was when we really were honest with ourselves and sent it to other people and like, listen to the two demos, it was like the phone thing was cooler. <laughs> um, and we were like, we, we have that, that just means we haven't solved the, it's hard. It's hard to record a song. It's like pretty easy to like, con- not easy, but it's easier for me to conceive of this song and it's on your phone. And it sort of has this limitless potential of like, well, you can see what it would sound like if you added drums or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But then actually physically recording and getting all the performances, right. And, you know, it's hard. And so I think that that one was one where then we went back again, went back to our producer who produced the rest of the record, Caleb Nelson, who did an amazing job. And we put that together in the final hour of recording um, the record. So that, that one had like actually an original Caleb version, a different producer version, and then back to Caleb for a third version um, all throughout that year. So exactly what you're talking about, where you just kind of listen to it and you cock your head and you're like, it's not quite it, you know, until you mm-hmm. get it. Yeah, for sure. That, that's fascinating, especially yeah, with a song that you know you 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 take it to one level and it's like oh let's go back and then oh and then we'll go back to the original guy and and then and then that's the one that that ends up making it on. I just saw the video that you put up like I think it's about a week ago uh, for Johnson's song. I think that's an incredible song and it's like a tour video. It's like footage from the tour, I believe. And then your guys are all in a room singing the chorus. Was that from the original recording of the song or is that just something that you guys had re-recorded or? Yeah, that's how we recorded um, the song originally. And um, 
yeah, we recorded that in the same session that we did that lemon tree out in LA. That was one of the last things we did is put together sort of like the gang. Like that was part of the challenge of the pandemic is some things were recorded, but we were like, well, we need the, the band and the gang vocal. Um, so we would meet in LA sort of towards the end when the pandemic was obviously like less of a thing, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, fair to say, or I guess less people were dying of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, so we, we put that, we put that together there. And I think the footage of the road, um, makes a lot of sense. Cause I mean, Johnson's song really was this thing. If you talk about like Astrovan, like we talked about just wanting to have a song really f- that was for me and for the band and for our crew, a very goofy and inside joke thing. Like we have this thing from the beginning of Mount Joy where a Johnson is sort of like a thing that humbles you as a band. Like, you know, we vote, for example, like, I don't know, like a thing that would happen to us would be, we would get Conan, you know, and like, you'd have this great high five moment. Like then the next day, like the van would break down. You know, It's just <laughs> okay. it's like the Johnson's this constant reminder of like, yeah, just like things that are going to humble you or, you know, we had a show where we were really excited. And then like the gas, remember the gas, uh, I mean, now gas is crazy, but there was like a gas shortage. I think like last summer. Oh yeah. Summer. I do remember that. Yeah that like negatively impacted the show we were about to do. And it was like, this is a Johnson. Um, so we just have this thing. And a Johnson can also just be like the salt shaker, like past the Johnson. Like, it's just this sort of language. <laughs> like inside joke. Yeah. And so we had this idea of like making a song um, about the Johnson. And the funniest thing, the sort of like meta Johnson of that song is that we've used that for so long, for so many years that, Obviously, I think originally it was probably, you know, we were in our like mid early 20s, like making these jokes, like it was probably a dick joke at the That's time. That's what I was thinking when you're going that route. Yeah, like, but it's gotten so far from that. It means this like sort of <laughs> meta thing to us. But of course, to like society at large, it's an obvious euphemism for a dick. Um, right. And um, so we make this song and our producer is sort of on the outside of the inside joke. And I'll never forget laid down the chorus. And like, it has this great vibe. And like the song, like kind of had it for me, like right away. So I was like really excited about it. And he's like, yeah, it's really great. But like, it's a dick joke, right? Like the song dance away. Cause the Johnson's coming. And I was like, Oh no. Like I didn't even realize <laughs> the, the, the coming part. Like there's just so many levels to it uh, that like, I swear on my life, I had no idea that I had done that. And that in and of itself is a Johnson. Uh, (laughs) And it's sort of this beautiful um, thing. And like, after like a day, I was like, I was actually pretty upset because I was like, we should probably rewrite that. Like, that's so kitschy and just stupid. And then I was like, but you know what? The whole thing is stupid. And in this greater arc of being in a band, like we talk about all the time, like not in a demeaning way, but like the whole experience is pretty stupid and silly. Like, you know, I get up there and sing about ex-girlfriends and like a bunch of people sing along. Um, <laughs> it's incredible though. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty goofy and silly. And I think the more you lean into that and interact with the sort of like irreverence of, you know, I think everyone listens to music at least in some part as this escapism of like a world that you can't be irreverent in, you know, and there's so much seriousness obviously in this world right now that I think the more we lean into what makes us happy and makes us goofy and sort of brings us, I can't use the word joy, but brings us joy. uh, I think that's, that's the stuff that connects the most. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny in that way. 
For sure. No, it's a great video. And, and I love the video as well for Evergreen. And I'm sure you've talked to length about that and, 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 you know, and having Creed in the, in the video and everything, which is a hilarious video. Uh, but, uh, and I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Matt, for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I, from what I gather about that video is you got, he, you knew him as a friend and he came out on stage with you guys in LA or something. Yeah. Yeah. So actually our tour manager manages his, um, his music career. He, he's, um, he's had a, like honestly long and successful music career prior even to the office. Wow. Um, he was in a band called the grassroots in the sixties, um, which like had a hit. They had a number one. Um, wow. I didn't even have any idea about that. That's amazing. He, yeah. They had a song called live for the day, I believe. And he was the guitar player. Um, yeah. So he's, he's just had this amazing career when you look at his, arc and he stayed playing guitar obviously and stayed with it and has his own band and mm-hmm. um so he has a music career and our our tour manager connected us through that and um he was so cool to come up we played the greek theater and like creep we brought creep brad now we felt like you know we were fulfilling our la <laughs> sure. rock star whatever it is but um he came out and just like honestly ripped like a solo on our song let loose and it was so amazing and so many ways just be looking over and obviously I'm a huge office fan Sure, uh, and he's one of my favorite characters from the office. And I'm not just saying that I've always just thought he was such a ridiculously funny character. And so to look over and see that guy like shredding a guitar at the Greek theater, it was just sort of this like moment that obviously I'll never forget. So it, it's cool. And then he's just become a friend. He's such a mm-hmm. good, awesome, cool, exactly what you would hope for a guy. And he's become a friend of the band and, yeah, he, he he agreed to do that, which was amazing and yeah, super cool. Yeah, the video is hilarious. Anyone who hasn't seen it, like, yeah, just the whole concept behind it is so funny. He's just constantly getting hurt or bad things are happening to him. And then, he, yeah, he finds this keyboard. And yeah, it's just a great, great, great video. Um, and again, Matt, thank you so much. I, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Actually, one more question. But I, sure. I want to comment on the fact that you guys are coming back through to Nashville. I'm super excited. You're doing two nights at the Ryman, which is so that's so awesome. Um, so I can't wait to see you at the end of October. Yeah, we're pumped, pumped to get to the Ryman. That'll, yeah, it'll be a dream. Two nights is amazing. Yeah. So cool. Well, my last question, you've kind of answered it a a couple times throughout this interview, but I'm going to ask it again. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, it's changing all the time, but I think the one thing, like I said, that is a constant is like, you just need a song. I think you do need to behind that song since I already talked about that. I think behind the song, you really need to at least be able to perform it at a level where it gets that across. Like, I don't think you need to be a virtuoso performer, but you know, cause sometimes I always feel like people are like, well, it's an entry level job, but you need experience. And mm-hmm. like the way to get experience is like you do the job. So I don't think you need to put, so much pressure on yourself to be a virtuoso right out of the box, but you just have to, it has to be something you can perform without like an extraordinary amount of tracks because you're going to get thrown into a gauntlet. And a lot of times early on, you're going to just have to be able to play that song on acoustic guitar or piano or something stripped down because the radio station is not going to let you bring in your sampler pad and (laughs) play a bunch of tracks. And even if they do, it's just, I think it's a bad look unless you're, unless you're a pop star, but, um, yeah, I think that would be the advice that I would give is just be able to perform it and uh, 
um, yeah, be, be, be prepared to, I guess, shop a song around until you have the one. <laughs>